This summer, the Phoenix Suns exploded through the NBA salary cap's second apron, and it was all anybody could talk about. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, we revisit the Suns' salary situation, how it will affect them this year, and what it means for the future. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Tuesday. We're making our way through another week. It is week two of the 13 questions that will define the Phoenix Suns season preview series. We are up to question number seven today, which means I guess we are more than halfway through. If you're finding us for the first time, hit follow, hit subscribe. We're free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Become an everydayer. Get locked onto the Phoenix Suns right along with me. Get this show in your feed Monday through Friday from here through next July. Yes, you heard me right. That's the deal. We're talking salary cap today, and I promise you I will not make it boring, but let's not waste any time. Let's start with how the second apron hurts the Suns right now, right? So for a little bit of a refresher course, speed round, the NBA passes its new collective bargaining agreement in the spring. The Suns had already made their bed to a degree with the Kevin Durant trade. They were very likely to be in the neighborhood of the second apron, regardless of what else they did. They obviously then make the Bradley Beal trade, which cements their status as a team over that second apron. That second apron was created with the new CBA after the Durant trade, before the Beal trade. The effects start to come into play by the offseason, the summer, the draft, etc., when we get a lot more info about just what that is going to look like. Financially, the NBA uh, second apron, it's it's effectively the NBA's version of a hard cap, right? It It is the closest thing to being a hard cap without being a hard cap because, well, you can cross it. And the Phoenix Suns did. They are several million dollars above that threshold. It is $17.5 million over the luxury tax line. So if you think about it as a little bit of a stair step, there is obviously the salary floor, which there were some new rules around in this new CBA. That's what you have to, to spend in order to, you know, exist as an NBA team, field a roster. There is then the salary cap which is always in the NBA been an incredibly soft cap, that actual cap line. Then there is the luxury tax, which is where you see the additional, you know, X number of cents per dollar payments that the NBA teams that are over that line pay to the teams that are not over that line. And now there is this second apron threshold that is $17.5 million above that luxury tax line. So this is now basically a fourth line, a fourth marker that teams have to worry about. And again, the Suns are one of the teams. They're not the only team. I believe the Warriors, maybe even the Bucks. I I don't want to speak on any other specifics until I'm positive, but I don't believe the Suns are the only team. I know for a fact that the Warriors are one. I would think the Clippers and maybe the Bucks. Either way, 
here's what it means for them this season as another little bit of a refresher. The Suns don't have access to the taxpayer mid-level exception, which we saw play out already, right? They were not able to sign anybody for more than a minimum. The taxpayer mid-level is only about $5 million. The real mid-level, the, the non-taxpayer, is nobody really calls it that, but that's technically what it's called. That's the one that's around $12 million, which you saw like Dante DiVincenzo get from the Knicks, right? But the Suns don't even have access to the smaller one. They also don't have access to the biannual exception, which is an even smaller amount, like three, three point something million. They also cannot sign uh, in the, during this upcoming season any buyout players whose initial salary prior to being bought out was more than the, mid, the, the non-tax mid-level, so that $12 million number, right? So you think of, I believe even Terrence Ross wouldn't have been allowed this past year because his salary from Orlando, I believe he was finishing up like a four-year, $72 million contract. So he was making on the first contract that he entered the season with almost $20 million. He gets bought out. He comes to the Suns. Under the new rules, that's not allowed. Trades. Salary matching, you're only allowed to match it up to 110% of what you're sending out versus 125% for other teams. There's no sign-in trades, really. There's like some ways you can do it. Basically, unless you were doing a sign-in trade that decreased your total salary commitments to a number that would get you below the second apron, you're not allowed to make them. The Suns aren't going to really be able to make a trade like that. So plus sign-in trade possibilities are, are basically done now. So that's not allowed. That will continue to not be allowed going forward. Um, there's the frozen pick side of this, right? So... It won't be going into effect until the end of next season. So the 2025 offseason is when these frozen the first picks will be frozen under these new rules. So you have to complete the 2024-25 season as an over-the-second apron team, at which point then your 2032 first-round pick becomes frozen. We will spend the next segment talking about where the Suns will land in a lot of these many years out situations, but that's the rule. Next season, this goes into effect. No cash in any trade. So you saw the Suns really loading up on a lot of those cash deals this summer because next summer they will not be able to. Next summer, starting next summer, no aggregated salaries and trades, right? So Think about how they got Beal with Shamit and Chris Paul. That's not allowed anymore starting next summer. And then lastly, it's a lot harder to generate traded player exceptions, which if you remember, the Suns have two of for Dario Saric and for Cameron Payne. I would expect them to be pretty aggressive trying to make deals to fill those traded player exceptions. But as of right, as of next summer, it would be a lot harder to even get uh, get those types of exceptions. The practical effects of this, okay? What does it actually mean for the Suns? What what are they limited that we know they might actually want to do? Because those are just all the rules that are like in the fine print of the CBA, but who cares, right? I mean, you care about the Suns. It doesn't really matter what theoretically could happen. What practically are they limited on? I would say... The biggest one is they really can't make any type of in-season trade outside of those TPEs. 
right? Even this season, because of the limitations of what their roster looks like and not having a lot of players who aren't minimum guys, they're not going to trade Beal, Durant, or Booker. It's hard to trade Aiton because of the 110% matching stuff as well as just um, Aiton, right? Like that's in and of itself a challenge, but even the financial and, and cap stuff makes it even harder. So that's the biggest one. Really, it's just, can you turn the traded player exceptions that you have for Sharich and Payne into something using some of the second round picks that they've acquired, things like that. They have very limited buyout options. It's probably just not something we should go into this season expecting to help this team. You know, a lot of great teams, a lot of super teams, so to speak, go into the year and say, you know, most fans and analysts are like, yeah, they can probably get somebody in March. Those guys don't always make a huge impact, but it's not even going to be really an option this year unless for some reason somebody making a small amount of money were to get bought out. Maybe that's still on the table. We'll see. I'm not going to count on it. That 110% trade situation, um, it just means a lot of popular eight and trade constructions aren't feasible anymore. Something like Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, right? So I'm not, I'm not going down the rabbit hole of talking about that they should trade Aiton. I'm just saying if we're looking at how this, the cap stuff hurts them right now, and Aiton is really the only trade piece, part of why I don't think we should expect to see an Aiton trade is because of these rules, okay? Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, that is somewhere in the neighborhood of $40 million combined. That's more than 110% of the $33 million that Aiton is making. Lastly... Next offseason, if we can fast forward from now, and we will get next to looking forward and then what types of things the Suns will be doing between now and the future because of this. But if we could just look a little bit ahead to next offseason first, it's going to be deja vu. We're going to be talking all summer about either a DeAndre Ayton trade or what players the Suns can get on minimum contracts assuming everything goes according to plan with the three stars on this team, and I don't have any reason to doubt that, right? So it'll be a deja vu situation. It'll have to be more creativity around pick swaps like we saw this summer, trading swap rights to get second-round picks or trading a first-round pick to get other swap rights back and get a second-round pick, that type of thing. More Tumani Kamara-type contracts for second-round picks and undrafted players. Guaranteed long contracts to get cost-controlled young talent in the door. And multi-year minimums, the same way that we saw the Suns dangle those for guys like Gordon and others to outbid and pay more tax dollars on the minimum contracts that they are able to offer. Because at the end of the day, you can't... All you can... All you can give out is some more playing time, maybe. But then, obviously, that second year, as we've talked about, helps for certain players to know that they're guaranteed to get some sort of money next year if they get hurt or fall off. And it's not subsidized by the NBA. So the money that the Suns spent on a lot of their minimum contracts, they are fully paying. Whereas other teams who have one-year minimum contracts, they don't pay that money to the players in terms of cash. The league does. So that'll be... More of the same. Again, a little bit of deja vu. But let's look even further into the future next. First, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel is uh, my favorite place to go. And I really, truly, honestly, only like 
football these days because of gambling and because of fantasy. I'm not huge on either one, but it makes it a lot more fun. And right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. I know it can feel a little intimidating, especially if you're a new person. It feels like you have to spend a lot of money. I don't. I do not spend a lot of money. I put something within my budget. I make a couple bets throughout the weekend. Think of it the same way you would, you know, go to a sports bar and drink and eat and do your thing. It's just kind of a replacement for that, or maybe it's in addition to that. It doesn't have to be everything, but it does make it more fun. Wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's keep it rolling. We're talking cap. We're talking second apron. Let's go a little bit into the nitty-gritty of the financials, all right? And then we will look beyond next offseason, okay? When, when do some of the, hey, if you're in the tax, if you're in the apron multiple years in a row, the frozen picks, the increased payments that Ishbia will have to give out, these types of things, uh, and how long just in general does it, are the Suns going to be dealing with the limitations even year by year, letting setting aside the multi-year combined punishments? Just you don't love the idea of being in that hell for too long. So we'll get into that all as we go here. But as a reminder, again, the second apron threshold is $17.5 million over whatever the luxury tax line is in a given season. And if that doesn't sound familiar to you, remember the cap, all those four lines that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that all gets decided at the end of the regular season, right before the actual off season begins. So right leading up to June 30th, July 1st, the NBA adds up all the revenue that it made based on how many playoff games and gate revenues that they got from tickets on those playoff games and all the other stuff. They add it up and then that determines what the cap is. So we can't say for certain what every year's cap, tax, second apron lines are going to be because that's subject to change. The league did put in a new rule saying it can only rise a maximum of 10% because obviously, you know, a little bit pertinent to the Suns, Kevin Durant going to Golden State was largely precipitated by a astronomical raise in the, in the salary cap by way of the new TV deal about, what, seven, eight years ago now, right? So they're trying to avoid that, but what they've said is $17.5 million over the luxury tax line is going to be the second apron. So this year, as we stated previously, the luxury tax is $165.2 million, meaning the second apron line is $182.7 million. I believe you are following. I believe I'm being clear. A 10% raise on the cap and all of the associated lines within that next season, which is the max that is allowed, and it's also the one we just saw. This year's cap was 10% above last year's cap. So that's been the trajectory. That's been the pattern. Let's assume it happens again. The luxury tax would be 178.8. The second apron would be 196.3. You don't have to listen to those numbers too, too much. The point is, as we arrive at the sun side of this, their salary, they already have $206.2 million committed next season. And if that sounds high, if that sounds surprising to you, remember that Devin Booker signed last summer a Supermax extension, but it did not kick in for two more years, which 
in other words, is 2024. So next summer, the reason the Suns' salary commitments go up so much is because Booker goes from 35, 40 million a year to 50 to 60 million a year over the life of that extension. So they are almost a lock to be over the second apron, obviously this season, but also next season. And there's really not a lot that they can do about that unless, you know, Ishpia got cold feet and suddenly started tearing this thing down. Not going to happen, right? So beyond that, so now we're talking 2025 and beyond. Right. Again, not a given that the cap will rise the maximum 10% every year because we don't actually know if the TV deal is going to be as big as the teams and league expects. That's a conversation for a different day, but let's just assume it does go up 10% every year so that we don't have to get into the weeds. Tax line, uh, let's just say second apron in 2025 26 would be at 214.2 million. The Suns only technically have about exactly $200 million in salary committed that season. But when you realize that's only four players, you're still likely to go over that 214, given you have 11 remaining roster spots and only 15, 14, 15 million in wiggle room under the apron line. I don't even know if it's possible to even do that. So that's a third straight season in this second apron purgatory. Okay. However, that is likely to be the last season that the Suns are affected by this. So again, today's episode, the question we're answering is, how will the second apron affect the Suns this year and beyond? It's going to affect them pretty hard for three years. Like, that's just the truth of it, right? But after that 25-26 season, uh, Kevin Durant's contract comes off the books. All right, the Suns get relief. They only have $117 million committed and a likely luxury tax line of $216.4 million and a second apron line of $234 million. So they could even avoid the tax that year is the bottom line. All right, four years from now. Okay, I know that sounds crazy, but if you really think about it, um, Booker and Beal and Aiton are all under contract for the majority of that time. Durant's contract comes off the books that summer, as does Aiton's. So at that point in time, you're looking at just Beal and Booker. Now, are you likely to really get under the tax when you only have two players under contract? You have to fill 13 roster spots with $100 million? Probably not. We should just assume the Suns are going to pay the tax most years that HB is here, maybe until they win a championship and then potentially there's a reset. But I think it's reasonable to expect that 13 roster spots, $117 million under the second apron line, that that 26-27 season, which is Beal's final year under contract, that year they will likely be able to get below the apron, which would reset everything, which would avoid having to deal with the frozen picks and would allow them to start building a roster in a more normal way. So yes, get used to all of these rules, a bunch of deja vu off seasons where it's small moves on the fringes probably, or trying to get lucky with bargain signings that turn into something. That is what we are in for, but 
Again, as you've heard me say a million times, the Durant trade led the Suns here, and they made that trade not knowing what the CBA would look like. The Beal trade was their best option. The Chris Paul-Landry Shamit package is a steal. All it cost them was a bunch of pick swaps to upgrade the biggest question mark on their in their starting lineup from a star player perspective, and the cost is just some of these rules that they're going to have to work around while they have the best big three in the NBA. You do it 10 times out of 10, in my opinion. Nevertheless, it will impact things, and let's talk next about how it will impact things. We'll do that after a quick break. All right, we're coming back. Let's talk about what the second apron and the rules that accompany it actually change for the Suns this year and as they approach next summer and what it'll mean as we think about it through the season, all right? Again, this is a season preview, but inevitably all these things are interconnected. It starts to, you can't just say, all right, let's just talk about from October to April. Like that's impossible, but let's, let's go through it. So their pick will be frozen at the conclusion of the 24-25 season. So about 18 months from now, we will, I will be doing a show, or let's say somebody else is doing this show. Who knows? We will all be talking about as Suns fans and followers, oh my God, the Suns got their pick frozen. It's going to happen. Lock it in. Circle it on your calendar. But there's two levels to how the frozen pick thing works in the NBA. So the frozen pick will mean that at the end of the 24-25 season, the pick seven years past that will become frozen. Frozen meaning it can't be traded. So that would be the 2032 first round pick of the Suns. The reason that it's done that way is because that's when the pick becomes available to trade, right? You can only trade a pick seven years out and you can only do that once the season is over. So it's the soonest possible date that you could trade it. The league is coming in and saying, never mind, no, you can't. But the second layer to the frozen pick punishment that the league included in this CBA is that it gets put to the end of the first round, right? And if you remember, the Suns actually, like we think of all their picks forever being locked up and, and, and screwed with. It's only through 2030 right now because that's this, in, in the year we're currently in, 2023, that's the pick seven years from now. That's the furthest one that they can mess with. So as we get further and further on, like you can think about the same thing has happened with the Anthony Davis trade or some of these other ones where now all of a sudden the Lakers have first round picks again, right? You wait long enough. They traded for Anthony Davis four years ago. So yeah, they gave up all the picks back then, but it's been four years. So now they've been able to acquire a Max Christie and they've been able to trade for a, uh, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Malik Beasley, right? Wasn't that the trade? So Rui Hachimura, et cetera. So, well, I guess that was second round picks. My point is the Suns will start to have access to those picks. You don't want them to get put down to the end of the first round with that second layer of frozenness, freezing that might happen, but that won't happen, right? Because the way to undo that is to get out of the second apron for what I believe is two of the next three seasons. And I would anticipate that in order to avoid the worst effects of this thing and assuming the Suns succeed and are able to win a championship in this three-year window that they've set up for themselves, they will start to look at 
kind of like we've seen with Steph Curry in this latter part of his career, it'll sort of be like that for Booker, right? The end of Booker's current contract, we'll see if they extend him at some point along all this long-term stuff we're talking about, but you'll see a reorganization. What is the what is the late prime and end of Booker's career in Phoenix look like? You'll have a little bit of the, the flexibility with the reset of your roster to say, you know, let's even say Bradley Beal extends here again. He's not getting a Supermax again, right? So he's going to get a smaller contract. And you just start to piece it together, and you can use the that kind of frozen pick stuff as another reason to say, hey, let's take things easy, reset, spend a little bit less, and get ourselves back in order. I think that's what I would expect to happen. So the Suns will avoid some of the absolute worst effects of this stuff, but most of them they will have to deal with. Speaking of the draft picks, because that frozen pick rule does not go into effect until two off seasons from now, again, in 2025, that means even though the Suns will be over the second apron this year, they don't have to worry about their pick seven years out being frozen next summer, which means they have this golden last window from a draft perspective where their 2031 first round pick, they can trade next summer. They could trade at any point. It doesn't have to be next summer. So what I mean when I say that is, you can bet your, you know what, they absolutely will explore doing so, right? Uh, especially if they don't win the title. You know, like if, if they win the championship next summer, then we might be talking about a lot of this stuff differently, right? I mean, I think that you probably don't, if, if they win a championship, the eight and stuff goes away. You probably just play things a little bit more chill as far as, your pick situation goes and maybe you just sit on that 2031 first round pick and and be a little bit more flexible and and fleet of foot with it rather than just cramming it into whatever the next big move you can try to make might be but let's assume just for the exercise if they don't win a title and they're still in aggressive mode or they do win a title and and Matt Ishpia says one's not enough whatever you want to look at it as that 2031 first round pick is like this golden asset that they are lucking into basically because the one little thing the league did do here with the teams that are as expensive as the Suns are is say, hey, this stuff's going to be put into effect gradually. So some of it went into effect this year, some of it will go into effect next year, and then the rest of it will go into effect in 2025, so you have time to adjust. And the Suns are lucky, again, that they got that. So the other part, in addition to that, that aggressiveness that you can expect with that 2031 first-round pick is... Uh, expect the Suns to be careful about any contracts that go beyond 2025-26. Now, you know, again, it doesn't really matter right now because they can only offer minimums. And as I said, it's going to be a lot of deja vu with that stuff. But, you know, there's a world in which, like, for instance, um, Josh Okogie, right? This year, because he's on his second year with the Suns, he's making $2.8 million. It's a little bit of a raise from his minimum salary last year. So he's on a slight increase from the bare minimum, like, Kata Bates Diop is making the, the literal minimum. That's 2.3 million. But because Kogi will have been with the Suns for two years at that point, he'll be able to make 125% of his salary on a new contract in Phoenix. That's the early bird right. So this you don't have to care about or know all the stuff I'm saying. But the point is, when you're looking at contracts, Kogi will be able to, next summer, 
increase from 2.8 million to 125% of 2.8 million, which uh, if I'm doing the math correctly is somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.5 million, right? And that's a pretty decent number above. That's around what the taxpayer or the uh, biannual exception is that I was just saying that they did not have access to, right? So you could imagine potentially a contract for somebody in a Kogi's shoes like that to be a little bit higher than, um, to be a little bit longer than a one-year minimum. Maybe he likes the flexibility of, or the security rather of, of having, let's say, a three-year contract uh, at three, starting at $3.5 million going up from there. DeAndre Ayton will actually be extension eligible next fall. I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen, but just to give you a little bit of where my mind is at here. Expect the Suns to be careful about, careful about any contracts that go beyond 2025-26 when Durant's ends. Because again, Durant and Aiton both end the same year. Beyond that, only Booker and Beal are under contract. And it's only one last year of Beal. And then in 2027-28, only Booker's under contract. And that's normal. Not a lot of teams uh, have that. And then they do have the Tamani Kamara contract that is non-guaranteed all those years up through Beal's final season. But unless it's something like the Kamara type of deal of a draft pick, a young player that they want to lock in with the flexibility to keep on a cheap contract and be very, uh, you know, management about it, don't expect if it's an Aiton trade or it is a contract like what we're seeing with the Kogi, et cetera, that the Suns would try to avoid contracts that are substantial or really guaranteed in any way beyond Durant and Aiton expiring. With all of that said, the good thing is that assuming that Kevin Durant stays relatively healthy and impactful, the Suns have a legit three-year window right now, assuming that they can continue to be creative, scout well, get role players on the margins, that they are locked into being over the apron. You know, you can be, I guess, disappointed, and it is disappointing, and it is kind of crazy, and the league is bringing the hammer down in all these ways, and it's took me half an hour to even scratch the surface on it here. But at the same time, you know, you compare it to the Robert Sarver era, right, where it was a constant question every single season, are the Suns even going to pay the luxury tax? And I even think somebody like Ishbia could get scared in the other direction, right? Like I've, I've referenced Mark Cuban, and he had the reputation early on in his career that he just blew past a lot of the luxury tax and, and financial rules that the NBA had in place and was kind of a, a persona non grata among NBA owners. He went in the complete opposite direction, and I think most Mavs fans these days would be pretty frustrated that he didn't keep the 2011 title team together and that he didn't do more and simultaneously was out here asking Dirk Nowitzki to take pay cuts while also not investing in a, in a championship team around him and all this stuff. Even the most spendy owners get nervous. They get cold feet. They go in the other direction, and so Ishbia basically doesn't have a, a, a pathway out of this either, right? Like Everybody involved is committed whether it's because it's a player who's under contract or it is Ishbia sort of having made his own bed here, this is a three-year experiment. This is a three-year window. And a lot of the things I said to be watching for, to be thinking about, to be mathematically calculating in the back of your head as, as everything goes by is all valid. And I obviously wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it was important. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just... 
we're all along for the ride for three years. You know, hopefully they can keep manufacturing these smart off seasons, like I said. But beyond that, cross your fingers. That will wrap us up. That was a fun one to do. Hopefully you learned something, remembered something. Tell your friend about something. Tell your friend about the show. And if you haven't already, hit follow, hit subscribe yourself. Get the show in your feed every single day. Become an everydayer. As we finish out our 13 questions that will define the Phoenix Suns season, get to training camp in about two weeks. Training camp, or media day, I mean, is two weeks from today. So it is all coming quickly. And you should join me for that ride. I will talk to you guys tomorrow.